episode 11, Modern Monks. Back in the daytime again, because I feel like that suits us both well, really. Both so much better. Yeah, late night was just killing us. Wasn't working that well. We're hitting the daytime. Beautiful Monday. Summer is officially here. It's amazing. And uh, before we get started, I just want to say thank you. Summer's officially here? Officially. Uh, Summer starts in December, doesn't it? Nah. Leave that up to. We'll leave that up to the science. Uh, they'll get back to us on that. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, episode eleven. Just a shout out to uh, Jimmy's Burgers, um, Evergreen Landscaping, AccuFit Acupuncture for doing everything they do. Soho for filming this beautiful thing for us, and uh, Coco's Cafe for supplying us with our treats and all that good stuff for us. And. Um, yeah, we'll get straight into it. So we didn't see Will on... Um, sorry, I forgot to get him. <laughs> anyway, so we didn't see Will again on, uh, on the weekend because he's recently entered fatherhood, which is a tremendous experience. and Super tremendous. I can't wait to gain some insight on that because obviously I don't have kids of my own. But it does, it does give you another week with the, uh, the jits belt around your waist, so I'm sure you've uh, wasted no time flaunting that yeah. around the place. Yeah. Um, Little Bowie was born first. Bo- Bowie Gabriel Grant, born 31st of October, Halloween. Looks like we're dressing up every year for his birthday. Oh, so good. Seems good. But um, it's been the, like we're nearly at two weeks since he's been born. It's just been hectic. Like I've been um, blown away by the stuff that like I've picked up well. I've been blown away by the stuff that I struggle with. Um, but just overall, like, and it's cliche to say it, it, talk to anyone that's like been at their child's birth and having a kid, they all tell you like, you're just so full with love and all this other stuff, but you just can't put it into words. Mm. Like I really thought I would struggle with the crying and not understanding what was wrong, you know, whether it's food, gas, pooey nappy or you know tired whatever it is I thought I really thought I would struggle with that communication and then I thought I would struggle changing nappies I thought I would struggle with you know being spewed on and farted on and crapped on but it's awesome it's like you would do literally do anything for this little ball of life that you've created it's out of control like I've never experienced something where I just want to throw myself so balls deep into every little thing I can do to possibly make it better and just you know, not expect anything in return other than, you know, changing more nappies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm absolutely frothing on being a dad. Like going for walks and chilling, sleeping together, feeding him the bottle. It's just all these little things that don't, you don't really feel like they mean that much, but it's like the greatest activities I've ever done in my life. It's just on a different level. Yeah. The sleep deprivation though has... I really thought I would deal a lot better, but that shit's messed up. So, so messed up. But it's different deprivation. Like when you do anything like that, it's, it's got to be different when it's on your own terms. Like if you're yeah. like, I'm making a choice to go out, have a good time, come back when I feel like it. You're like, oh, I'm paying for it because I made that decision. But someone else is regulating that for you. It's, mm. It must be crazy in that sense. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's not like you go, all right, well, I had a big night last night. I'm going to catch up my sleep now. It's like, no, tomorrow is the same. It's the same again and then the same again. And it's like you get into bed and like 
we're starting to find a little bit of routine, you know, at almost two weeks, um, you know, where we sort of, we can bridge, you know, a, a sleep of two to three hours at a time together. And Em and I kind of do shift work where one of us will do the feed and one of us, and then, and then settle and put them back to bed while the other sleeps. And then we switch for the next feed and, and settle. And, um, I was, it's just like you, you wake up and you're so delirious and you just, you don't even know where you are, what's happening, you know, what's even doing. And like last night, Emma like woke up and she's like, oh, it's like, can you get up? I'm really tired. Like I didn't really sleep on my shift. And I'm like, no, no, it's cool. I'll get up. I just rolled over and went back to sleep. And she's like, well, I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? What's up? I'm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nappy change. Cool. And she's like, no, no, you've got to get, you know, the, there's a bottle in the fridge and you've got to, it's, there's 120 mils in it, but just pour 80 out because if you heat it all up and he doesn't take it, then we have to throw the rest of it out. So just put 80 mils in and then if you do the other 40 mils after, if he wants more. Like, yeah, yeah, sweet. All right. 80 mils, fuck, 120. Okay, sweet. Walk out of the kitchen. You've just got no idea. You turn the, the fridge opens up and you're like, shit, someone's just put a spotlight in your face. Like, like, baby starts crying because you're getting hungrier by the second. You're like, oh, what the fuck is going on? It's some anti-terrorism shit. Like, I'll tell you whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Like, what do you, you want me to rat on? <laughs> just let me go back to sleep. But it's, it's so bad. And like, I've never, ever had a problem getting out of bed to be motivated in my life. I'll tell you what, my alarm goes off in the morning now to like get up and start getting ready for work. And I'm like, snooze, snooze, snooze. Oh shit, I've got three minutes to get to the gym. It's <laughs> yeah. like, crazy. It's just out of this world. Yeah. It's obviously something you can't really anticipate because you talk about a lot of these ideas, you know, where like circumstance changes you. You know, but it's funny having, you know, when it comes to like a work environment, you know, there's certain energies and certain elements that might shift, like having a new person come to work there. So you had a really good environment and now it's difficult because you've got someone who's like a terrible son of a bitch or something like that that changes the element. But you've got someone who's really, really positive and in the converse, it makes that environment even better. But you've got someone now as like this little person who just changes the dynamic of every experience everything that you do like even when we went out the other day um just putting in the car and stuff like that and i'm like all right see you later i'm gone i'm probably home and you're like oh i've got to get him in the car still you know hanging out and that's it like and everyone always says like you can never be prepared to have a kid like you can have everything in place which we did we had everything ready all the stuff like all the plans in the world but baby might be a good sleeper baby might be a terrible sleeper you just got to play whatever cards you've been dealt and I mean, for the most part, Bowie's a legend. Like, he feeds well, he sleeps well when he's asleep. But it's just like, you know, it's us not being adapted to his lifestyle. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's just growth. It's like, at the end of the day, I figure this is what we chose. And, like, I think that's why I'm so keen to be involved in, like, making everything as easy as I can for Emma, making everything as easy as I can for Bowie, because a happy baby needs a happy mum. And the hormonal response that they get is hectic. Like, so crazy what their bodies go through and what their bodies do. Like, Bowie starts crying and, like, milk starts lactating from Emma. It's like, it's crazy that her body knows that he's hungry. It's like, not just at any cry, it's only for the hungry cry. And it's just like, fuck. Like, they're just wired to coexist. 
and here I am just cleaning the dishes and mopping up like oh yeah you know need another nappy change yeah I want it you know just to make it easier for them to you know get through these initial stages because like there's not a great deal that I can do other than just play the support role I mean I'm frothing on so much fun does he think in that first two weeks like you know how the old adage is um takes a village to raise a child do you feel like that in the first two weeks that you've already seen that? Do you think it's something that's going to come? As a- well, even, like, I see, I still see it now, and I still see it for, like, how my family used to be too, and how, like, you know, families are around us as well, and, like, the people that are open to accepting help have a much easier time transitioning. The people that try and do it themselves, and, you know, kudos to you, but if you've got people around you that are willing to help and willing to, to help you grow through this period, I think, why wouldn't you take it? It was like, it was simple the other day, Em's mum rocked up with a roast dinner, like whacked it in the oven for, you know, a little bit longer to make sure it was perfectly cooked and the veggies and stuff were all ready to go. And it's like, you don't realise how much easier that makes life, like the prep before dinner. You know, one person has to be making sure the child's okay, the other person will be cooking. And even in a normal relationship, if you've just got one person doing one thing, one person doing the other all the time, you're gonna butt heads eventually. So add a child to that, add a hormonal mother to that, and it's, you're gonna butt heads much more than you would normally. So accepting help from you know my brother and Emma's sister that are, are close by, we've got friends that are really keen to play a role and, and help us out. We've got Em's mum, um, we've got my mum that'll pop up heaps. Uh, you know, she lives four hours away, but she's already said like, you just tell me when you need me to come up for a few days and I'll be there. And it's, it's that kind of thing that if you can make life as, as comfortable for yourself as possible, then you're in a much better position to do those things for the baby. And it becomes less of a chore. You know, and it's not, it doesn't have to be like, oh, you know, I feel guilty about this, I feel guilty about that. It's like, well, if you, if you step back from the situation a little while, Emma's always the first person to, to offer to cook people meals when they're sick or something's going wrong or, you know, do you need me to walk your baby or do you need, you know, you need me to come clean your house while you're in hospital or something like that. She's always the first person to do it. And I'm always giving of my time to my mates, you know, if they're moving, if they need help heavy lifting or putting something together or, you know, I'm never backward in offering my help to, to my mates or, you know, people who need it. So in that turn, I feel fine asking for help. You know, and especially if someone's willing to do it because they want to be more involved in Bowie's life. It's like, sure, why would I knock back that opportunity for someone to grow a relationship with my son and, you know, help me and my wife out at the same time? So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate of it takes a village. And I think, you know, more power to the people that can, you know, do it by themselves. But I feel like it's more valuable for us as a family and him as a, an individual to have people around him that offer different, you know, insights and like I mean even though he's only tiny and you know just looks at you and stares and pokes his tongue out and farts you know he's listening he's absorbing so hearing different voices hearing different tones hearing different words different energies you know that's all we're going to attribute to his growth overall yeah so why would I rob him of that and say no no one can help we we're the only parents we're the only people that know what he wants yeah like that I'm just guessing Exactly, robbing yourself of that experience as well. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Well, that's it. And yeah, and yeah, everyone's got their opinions. Like everyone that's had a kid has their opinion. 
and everyone that doesn't have kids has their opinion. I had an opinion before I had kids. It was completely fucking off. But now I'm like, I can see why I thought the things I thought and why I was ignorant enough to, you know, think that certain things wouldn't change. They would, but it's, it's not even for the reasons that you think again. Like, I thought that my training would, uh, like if my training was gonna suck, it would be not by choice. But like Emma has been every day like, go, go, go train now, go train now. And I'm like, actually, I'm just gonna take another half hour nap and then I'm gonna spend that you know, next hour chilling out with Bowie and I might read him a book or you know, yeah. sit on the floor. I'm like, I can stretch on the ground. But it's like, it's by choice and it's because you're completely obsessed with like this new form of life. And at the end of the day, like when you think about it, like you create life. Like we, we literally manufactured a human being that is gonna have input in this world. That just blows me away. It's like this child is gonna leave a footprint on society that his dad's currently trying to leave a footprint on, you know? Yeah. He's gonna grow up to be something. Who knows what? Yeah. But something. And we started it. And we get to help him with that. That to me is like the greatest fucking gift of all. It's just out of control. It's definitely interesting because you, you hear from a lot of people that not just fatherhood but parenthood changes you and that all the like things are going to change for you. So we come with like, like feedback recently even leading up to like the last part of the pregnancy and, and, and the birth phase. Is that a lot of people come up to you and they'll be like, this is going to change bros, your life's going to be different bro, like you're not going to appreciate, like you can't do all this stuff now. Like, and I think it's fascinating because like even though it's only been two weeks, right, and dynamics going to shift, one of my biggest insecurities in life, I think, is having my life sort of dictated to me by like external influences. Like I get the, the family and the child and the units like that, but it's kind of like if someone's, if you're like, oh, I really love painting, and Emma's like, oh, you like painting, do you? <laughs> I just threw you painting out the window, how do you think about that? And you're like, what the, like what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it goes into other ways, like, oh, I, I don't like, I don't want you driving the cars or the things that you like or going to the gym as much or doing all these different things. And I think it's like, have you kind of, I know you said that you, you kind of tasted that little bit of, oh, I thought this stuff before I started and I was proven kind of wrong in like either the lens or the framework that I was thinking in. But do you think as your trajectory moves forward, obviously as a kid grows, it's going to be a little bit different. But do you think that, um, that the life that you kind of planned out, he's still going to be in a supportive, kind of in a supportive role and then you can still do the things that you want to do or do you think that that direction, that trajectory has shifted and stuff like that? I don't know if I'm asking the right way, but do you know what I mean? <clears throat> I understand what you mean. And yes, to a certain extent, like so what I had thought um, was that not much would change, but that was because my attitude was purely about, you know, um, wanting to not change my rhythm, not do anything like that. And I didn't realize how much I would want to be around him. Cause I, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I run my own business and, you know, I can teach my classes in the mornings and the evenings, but you know, and then admin from home. So I can be around him all day if I choose to. And I do choose to. I don't wanna go and do stuff most of the time at the moment. Like I'm just absorbing this new life, this, you know, this excitement 
like watching all these little things like and the two weeks already has changed so much like hectically he's like starting to look like a real human less of an alien and it was just my attitude pre and post baby was different in the fact that I see so many dads have to go back to work so they don't get the choice it's like you've got to go and that's eight hours a day plus yeah whereas I'm on the flip side of that where it's you know two or three hours of the day and I can be back home if I choose to be and I didn't think I would choose being home so much as I as I am you know I'm fine with just sneaking an hour hour of training in every couple of days at the moment I mean I, I would expect that will change and once I can bring him with me you know I want him to be more involved in my life you know get around that movement game early you know start jit start surfing you know get him into as many things as possible but I think that was the big thing pre-baby I didn't know how much I would love him and how much I would want to be around him does that answer your question yeah to a certain extent like obviously it's going to be this evolving thing yeah and I spoke to one of my mates who's got um, I think it's two now a two year old and he's like look man the fucked up thing about being a dad is like you find a rhythm and you start to get good at it and you're like yeah I'm sleeping I'm training I'm working ooh got this shit sorted and then there's a growth growth phase and the baby changes completely and it's like nah (laughs) I'm fucking flipping everything on its head this is what we're doing now and it takes you six to twelve weeks to cotton onto it and you're like yeah sweet we found rhythm then bang flip it again so it's like it's constant change but I mean, that's, that's what excites me now. It's like, my life doesn't have any room for stagnation. Yeah. Like, I will never be stagnant ever again. And I love that. There's no plateaus. It's just rhythm, growth. Wait, growth. If <laughs> you're watching this video, don't even pay attention to my hands. <laughs> Sleep deprivation is real. But it's just like, you go through... Your little, your little like setting of their routine and then they'll change and they'll grow and then you get used to that and so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, it's, it's never going to be the same, which I love. It's fucking just so exciting to me that I'm going to be challenged by myself on a certain level, but challenged by the growth that Bowie goes through, you know, and the attitudes and opinions that he starts to develop, you know the way he feels about walking for the first time or crawling. You know, this next year is just going to be a blowout. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. I also think it's fascinating that you, like when you talk about all aspects of your life and, and things, that in, things that you're kind of building on to, as an accessory to improve your life, like if your nutrition suffering or something like that, you bring on nutrition, if your healthcare suffering, you, you adjust and stuff like that. And it's like... You know, there's a certain period to be like, well, people would say, okay, well, I can't do what you're doing because I don't have a business, I don't have a job in which that's where I can just take that time off or I can't do that. But it's, it's fascinating that you go, yeah, but you, what you wanted to do was build a platform in which you had that type of life. Mm. And I think that that's, that's like the biggest difference is like when people go, that I'm, but I want to try and build, I don't know if I'm going to be right in that sense or if I'm going to be like way off the mark and things are just going to be hectic if we have children. But I'm like, I want to build a life in which things just add and support something and then I have the time to do that. Like running, running your own businesses, anyone who runs their own business knows it's a fucking punish. It's seven days a week. It's 
constant. There's no two ways about it. It's seven days a week. Yeah. You never stop. But the big difference is if you go, I need this time to take off and I want this time to do what I want to do, you can do that. You just filter and work things out around it. But you're not set by going, oh, okay, well, I have to be here at 9 a.m. no matter what. Mm. And I finish at 5. It's like I, I can do what I want around it. Yeah, but in saying that, like, you know, you get that freedom, but you're also shackled to it as well. You know, I was answering emails and questions and everything my whole honeymoon. You know, this the first couple of days with Bowie, you know, I had to make sure that things were getting done and things were getting put into place. You know, I couldn't afford for the chaos to arrive just because I, I needed to take my foot off the throttle for three days. Yeah. And it's, but I mean, you, you're exactly right in that the last two years, and it has always been the clearest goal of mine to create a lifestyle as a, as a job. And that's what I've done. That's what ghetto is. And that's what ghetto will grow even more to be for more people mm. over time. You know, I want people to, to see ghetto and like what we're doing here as the benchmark for, you know, chasing down your passion in life and turning it into a job. You know, being able to say, like for me, I train for three to four, I used to train for three to four hours a day, but that's a part of my job. But it's what I choose to do. So when I tell people, oh yeah, like, you know, I had a big day today, you know, and they're like, oh, do you get time to train? I'm like, yeah, yeah, three to four hours. And they're like, what? I thought you said you had a big day. I'm like, well, that's actually my job. That's my work. I made that my work. Yeah. It's funny how the, your business is more like, like an education facility than it is really like movement to a certain extent. Fully well, is. Because you're trying to use, and even like when I look at it in, in like my business as a practice, is like, you're trying to use yourself as an example or a template in which you're still growing, you're still evolving, you're still like learning the ropes and trying to figure shit out and it's not necessarily easy. And your, your health or your movement practice might be suffering through certain periods and there's elements in your life where it's not working, but you're trying to set a path for people so that they can keep going down that path and like someone's already treaded that. It's like going on a hike and somebody's already made their way through that path. So you're like, well, I know that it's at least doable to get through that it's going to have it's like ups and downs and but that's the thing everyone's so worried about the downs but it's like what the fuck do you learn when you're at the top of the mountain other than it's a nice view yeah you know you need the struggles to be able to build towards something and then you need something to go wrong so you can figure out how to stay up there for longer next time because it, it can't last you know, something will inevitably happen that goes wrong. And like the best thing for us here is the ebbs and flows of members. Because we need the members. We need people in here to pay the bills. But to have members in here, we need to have people moving well, people getting great results, people being, um, you know, happy with what they're doing. People being addicted to it, same as me. So who wants to come to a gym or a movement facility where the guy that runs the show and calls the shots, you know, can't do a handstand, can't sit in a deep squat and struggles. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, if that guy's perfect at all the movement, it's annoying. So the reason it works is because I'm not good at everything. You know, I'm dedicated to bettering myself every single day and I learn from the people that come in here, whether they're students or teachers. I learn the way that they move and see if it can be adapted to my frame. You know, my shoulders, I've had operations, my hips suck. 
but everyone sees the dedication and the drive that is behind me to better myself. So it makes it easier for them to access that and drive themselves forward. It's the same as if you run in the acupuncture clinic downstairs. No one wants to come in and see this rough, masculine energy that's just, you know, bumper bars up, like no connection. People want to come in and like get that virtual hug from your big energy. Like feel the love as soon as they walk in the door and your soft voice and you explain everything to people in such a way that it's like, you know, it's, you're luring them in. That's, that's what they need in that vicinity. You know, you go to a bodybuilding gym, you don't want that soft, energetic cuddle. You know, you want masculine energy roaring at you to lift that deadlift or, you know, pump that bicep. You need it. It's horses for courses. Yeah. And in here, it just has to intertwine everything. Yeah. You have to get, yeah, if you, you're in a facility, you have to find that balance in between. Because you offer so many different things, right? Well, it's not that we offer it. It's just that it's there. You know, yeah, but I mean, like, you can't have someone yelling at you in yoga. Like, I mean, you can't have someone pushing you. You can't be like, fuck it down with dog shit, man. Fucking lift your game. Like, what? I'm talking about I'm talking my best. I thought you'd leave the ego at the door. It says, says so on the wall. <laughs> False. Yeah, look. Yeah. But, I mean, when I say it's like, on paper, you know, we're a movement and yoga facility. We're a bit of a wellness center now. But we're so much more than that when you walk in the doors. And that's what we've been working hard for. You know, when, when we both get messages or, you know, phone calls or people catch us for five or 10 minutes, it turns into half an hour for a chat, asking advice about what's happening in their life and how they can change things or, you know, people finding their passion projects. That's why we're here. You know, because we led for, we're, we're doing it. We're doing those things that people want to do. And so our biggest asset, you know, whilst having this space and downstairs is amazing, our biggest asset is our experience. What we've gone through, what we're going through, what we will face in the future. We had a chat last week and um, I put a post up last night saying, um, the fear of being mediocre is what motivates me. You know, and you've gone, you've said before that the only thing you're afraid of is asking yourself that question at the end. Like, did I have a crack or did I just fucking ease my way through? Did I change the game or, you know, did I take handouts? I heard, um, I heard my boy David Goggins say that, um, I love him, man. I know what I'm saying. I can't stand him. <laughs> I love it. Have a sleep, bruv. <laughs> Mostly. Too much caffeine, not enough Zeds. He did some like an hour straight of push-ups the other day. It was just cracking up. Um, so he said one of his big motivators and his big drives is like he's a he's big God, man. But he believes that there's like something at the end where you have a conversation. Egyptians, ancient, ancient cults, just was the same thing. It's like you have that conversation at the end, which is what I alluded to in the um, other podcast that we did, other podcast episode. And, um, and he goes... God has everything charted out and written down. So it was like, we were born at this time. And it's like at age three, age six, 18, 25, whatever, all the way up until this point, up until this conversation right now. And he lays it out and he's like, this is the path that was set 
for you based on your fate, your experience, your karma, all this stuff. That was the path that was set. And he goes, the conversation that and he goes that God would normally have with a normal person. And you achieve them. You got these points like, don't be upset, don't be too hard on yourself. Come on through. He goes, <laughs> open up the gates. Yeah, okay, let's get it in, right? And um, and he goes, the conversation I want to have is like, God laid out this plan for me, and he's like, and he goes, I can't believe that you did all of these other things as well. Like your path was just this, and you took it to the next level. Like you went beyond that fate, that expectation. It's like that's the kind of conversation I have. And then he wants to walk past him and chill out. And I was like, that, that kind of motivation of like not being mediocre and like going for more, I think this should be a massive driver for you. Huge. But I mean, that's the thing though. Like, how many people do you look at and you see, you can, like pull it, up at, pull it up at the traffic lights and look to the car to your left and right. And you see shoulders slumped forward, head down, just negative energy on people, you know? And it's like... And the, the fucked up thing is that when you look to the car next to you and it's that upbeat person jamming out to that new track, it's like, oh, what a weirdo. Like, wonder what drugs they're on. Yeah. It's like, you're so negative that you're even seeing a happy person makes you more negative and have to rip on them. Yeah. It's like, the only person that can change your, your situation is you. You're the only one that can do it. And if you're not willing to do it, if you're not willing to face a little bit of resistance, if you're not willing to try a little bit harder in certain areas, if you're not willing to do the things that others won't, your life ain't changing. But even, but even worse than that is like, it's like, oh, but you can still be okay. You know what I mean? Like you can still have a, like the decent job, good paycheck, family, all that stuff set up, live in a nice place. Like we live in paradise. Yeah, like you so live in a nice place, everything's good, right? But it's like, yeah, that was, that was fine though. That doesn't, that doesn't, those landmarks that you set, you could have gone beyond that. Mm. You could have challenged yourself and gone beyond that. Like you're in that, that comfort setting and experience. It's like, yeah, but you had the opportunity to do so much more. And that's the thing that's like, that's a big motivator and that's a big joy. Yeah. And if you look, if you like, if one thing is, if your son ever came to me for advice in that respect. I hope he doesn't. Yeah, I hope, yeah, I hope he catches me in a good time. Uh, so I just browse the shit out of it. But I hope it comes in that one period and I'm like, just do the things like, Everyone's going to expect big things from you. Everyone's going to expect the standard from you. And, and lots of it, like you're going to expect things for your child, right? Mm. It's like just... One arm, one arm hands down by age six. <laughs> That's a little late, right? Slow, slow development. Um, and you, you, you know, we all expected big things, not necessarily movement, but just as a human being, right? Being around this environment, this community, all these things, we expect big things for you. But we want you to expect big things for yourself and let your standard dictate you know, what your life's journey is, what your path is. And it's interesting in that light, like what you just said then. And you can take that two ways. You can take what he's just said and you can go, all right, well, we want you to expect big things of yourself. As soon as you hear that though, you almost go, but we don't want you to be too hard on yourself. And I put up a post last night saying about my motivation is fear of being mediocre and I described like the growth challenges I'm going through at the moment and what and expecting more of myself and wanting to do better in certain things and, in, and I, I don't look at myself as someone that looks at themselves poorly I don't look at myself as someone that is hard on themselves I just hold myself accountable to a certain level that only I keep myself to like you know people 
can have their opinions and people can do whatever, but I have a level of expectation that I want to hit. And it was funny because so many of the messages and the comments that I got back were, oh, you know, you're doing such a great job, um, but you need to be easy. You need to not be so hard on yourself. And it's just, a, it's a, all that is is just a twisted perception of what's actually happening. And I can see how it would be misconstrued. And it was like, it just took that. Because I was reading it over and over going, where in here am I being hard on myself? Like, yeah. I'm just fucking, you know, being a little bit honest and getting it out there to keep accountable. I think yeah. that's a big difference. So someone, and this is something that you need to communicate and I try and communicate on a daily basis. Like, if you have someone who wants to get this crazy goal, right? And they're like, and you're like, you need to do a lot of work and you need to become that person who's capable of doing that. And the reason how you, the way that you do that is train every single day to get to that point. But don't punish yourself in the sense of, don't punish yourself so it works against your trajectory mm. moving forward. So don't punish yourself and be like, oh, I ain't in my health shit. I'm, I've been here like for four years. My life's fucked. I'm like, don't punish yourself. It's not going to serve your journey moving forward. Come jump on the table. Let me put some pins in. See what happens. But it's not, it's like that idea of being like, if it's, punishing yourself is self-destructive and it's self-limiting mm. that's a big difference from being like I expect big things and I want that constant motivation that I want it I'm going to have it yeah you know and that's the way I look at everything is that if I can set if I set my mind to whatever I want I know I can achieve it flat stick like if I want to become prime minister in the next 10 years you know you take avenues you talk to people you do what you have to do do a couple of courses in politics learn some fucking riffraff I don't know but you know what I mean? If you were like Lord Mayor of the world, <laughs> right, that would be, that would be the finest part of man. Maybe, maybe I will. Grand Lord maybe, maybe that's what happens next. Maybe, maybe that's where this road leads us to. Changing the game. <laughs> Yoga for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Yoga. Everyone gets in a sidebar. <laughs> the sidebars are on me would be my slogan. <laughs> but, but in, like, I mean, that's probably, it's something that I would never do because it doesn't interest me. But contextually, I honestly believe that. That whatever I set my mind to, I can go and do. You know, it might take time. I'm not a person that's scared of putting in the hard yards. I'm not a person that's scared of change. I'm not a person that's worried about what other people think. And I feel that those things are, are complement the way I operate. But as you just said, it's so easy to... To, to flip that in other people if you're not clear on where you're going and you think you need to be at certain points by certain times then you're going to be negative on it but I mean I think the thing that people don't understand about the way I set myself goals and targets is that I've had the same goals for the last like five years physically you know when I first started doing handstands I had a goal that I could do a one-arm handstand in 12 months I had a goal that I could stall to press in that 12 months and they're still my goals now I'm not phased by that at all. It just makes me hungry to get them. I'm getting closer. I can see the growth and the development. But they're the same goals I had in 2013. You know, everyone just assumes that it's like, oh, you know, he's hard on himself when he doesn't hit those targets. It's like, I don't expect to hit certain targets. If I do hit them, I'm almost not setting myself a high enough mark. So it's like success is built on failure. You know, so if you don't get a taste of not reaching something from time to time. You're gonna lose the hunger to do it. You, know, you need to be chasing something that you can't quite reach. You know, it's like the dog chasing the bone that's tied out on its head, you know. The stick is the motivator, not the bone. Yeah. 
You know, how far is it out in front of you? That's what's going to make you run to it. Not the bone itself. That's just that, you know, it's just that little bit that looks good. Is there anything in, is there anything in life? And this is what I think, because like, at this, point in, at this point in my, like, at my business career and all that stuff with, with Chinese medicine, every single thing that I ask for has come to pass. And it's like, it's very interesting, it's like there's very few times in my life where I haven't asked for something and it hasn't, it hasn't materialized in some capacity. It may not necessarily look exactly the way that I thought it was gonna look, and it may not have come to pass in the way that I thought it was. Like I never thought when I first started practicing that I would have to do so much self-examination of every weak point in my personality at any time that I wanna check out and go home early, any time that I wanna do this, do something else, expand beyond or extend myself beyond what I'm actually mentally and physically capable of doing. Being like, oh, let's trip 100 people today. It's like, but my energy is fucking, it takes me three months to recover from that. It's like, oh, I have to learn that lesson. But it's interesting, is like, I think people get lost in that if when you ask for something and it hasn't necessarily come right now, that it's not on its way to you. And if you don't spend the time to like really unpack what it is that you want, and what it is that you're working for, you're gonna end up at that point and see it the way that you may not necessarily have wanted to see it. I think that that's really interesting when you when you look at it in the framework of, oh, I need a partner, I need somebody. And you're like, if you don't set the intention of the type of person and why you want that type of person, you'll find someone and they won't be the person that you want them to be. And it will force that examination, it'll take five years of being like, this is a bad relationship or whatever. Just like that with friends as well. And people come and go and, you know, you're going to learn lessons. For, like, people come into your life for a reason. And, you know, they may be the, the, the lesson that you ask to learn. But if you're not open to what's actually happening around you and you have that, woe is me, oh, this always happens to me, you're never going to get anything. The things that you want are there in front of you. You can have it. Unless you open your eyes and your mind to what it actually is and how it materializes... You're going to be too dumb, too ignorant to realize it's there. Mm. Whatever you want, you get. Whatever you are willing to put your energy towards will come back. No two ways about it. We say it a million times. If you want something, ask for it. Once you ask for it, take action to get it. It'll pop up every time. I was reading back in my journals the other day and... um, and one of my mates was flicking over through them and he was like, wow, this is, you know, I've got like 10 journals at home that I've filled out over the last couple of years. And he's like, wow, this is hectic. Like all the stuff that you're writing about here about business and, you know, this is where, oh shit, this is where ghetto was thought of. Like the first time ghetto movement was written on a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, and he's like, holy shit, this is hectic. And I'm like reading it laughing, thinking this is hilarious. Like look what I used to think this was going to be and like, oh man. But all of a sudden you see the, the, the model start to evolutionize in my mind and it is what I wanted it to be. And he's like, oh man, it's, you know, it's inspiring. I just, I can't do this. He's like, you know, you're so motivated. You're so into it. I'm like, you know what I am? I'm well rehearsed. I've been planning this so much in my own mind and visualizing it and seeing it. That now that it's here, it doesn't phase me too much what's happening because I've, it's almost like I've played the game before. You know, people talk about it with athletes, like visualizing 
sinking buckets, scoring tries, you know, throwing that big Hail Mary touchdown pass. You've got to visualize, you've got to see it before it happens to make sure it goes to plan. Why do people not do the same in their life? If the best athletes in the world use visualization and meditation as a form of practice to perfect their craft, why don't people do it for their life? I think it's I think it's like why do you why do you never do the things the simple things in life that will infinitely make your life better if you know you just did them if you just got something done it's like when you first it's like the first couple of dishes that go on the sink and you're like it's just a couple of dishes it's, it's gonna be fine it's I don't fine. have to do them now yeah, I'll yeah. do them later when I come back, back through yeah then you next time you come back two more dishes yeah two more dishes and then you gotta fucking wash up this big fuck off pile of dishes dishwasher's not working someone made a stew for some unknown reason oh, and left it 48 degrees and it's all caked yeah and, like, and that's, that's life that is the perfect metaphor for life how you do one thing is how you do everything yeah. and if you leave the dishes stacked if you leave your clothes on the floor you're gonna leave mess everywhere else in your life do the one percenters make your life easy take the bins out do the dishes pick up your shit have a shower before bed. How old do you fall? Fuck, I fucking hate that one. I got it now. Emma makes me shower Bowie before bed, so she gets two birds, one stone. She doesn't have to bath him, and I have to have a shower. Did you realize that before you got in, or you just got in the water and you're like, oh, wait a minute? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. I was like, hang on a second. She's like, here you go, here's a washer and some soap. I'm like, shit. That's got played. Fucking really played. Yeah. But. It's those things. And if you get order in your life and order in your mind, everything else will fall into place. It sounds easy and it almost sounds like we're taking the piss, but it's so true. And if someone, someone comes up to you and says, I've got the magic elixir, you're not gonna believe it. You're just not gonna believe it, you know, because it's too good to be true. But if you do all the one percenters, I'm not saying life's easy, life is fucking hard. But if you do the one percenters, it's not as hard as it looks. And it's not as hard as it feels sometimes. You know? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Is like, life isn't easy. These curveballs getting thrown left, right and center. And I get stressed and I get tired. Sometimes I cry. You know? Sometimes I go home and I have to hug Emma and I cry on her shoulder and I tell her, I don't know what to fucking do. But the answer isn't, oh, you poor thing. Or maybe this will happen. Oh, fuck those guys. The answer is never that. The answer is just a pat on the back and like, you'll figure it out. And no will. But like, if you're not open to doing that, then all these things, all the dishes stack up on your shoulders. You know, everything gets harder and harder. I think it's also cool like when you think about that extension of someone giving you the, that answer and being like oh everything's alright it just puts that like temporary band-aid but it also forces you to not go why does that person bother me why does what they say bother me why does that situation in my life holding up a motherfucking mirror yeah and you're like oh, it's and I think I, I thought about it before for a long time because I used to be super dogmatic about health and like whether it came from nutrition whether it came from like training principles or like people had to be on a spiritual path. Like, why, how are you not med- 
meditating all the time. How are you not doing this? Why don't you spend $5,000 on treatment? Because I spend 10, 15, 20 grand on treatment. Why isn't that a priority for you? And I think I heard something really um, that was kind of powerful and resonated with me recently, which was when sometimes when you see someone doing something or when you react to something, oftentimes it's you not wanting to see that weakness or that fear or that issue within yourself and you judge people accordingly on that. So if someone comes in and they don't train, they're like, oh, I don't know why I don't train and something, and you're like someone who trains four hours a day, you're going to be like, ah, I don't have time for this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like what's going on? And, you, and you're seeing that. And sometimes it's just that thing, but oftentimes for me, I know for myself, it's like I don't want to see that weakness or that inability to rise to an occasion or be able to overcome something or be successful as I perceive success to be or anything like that. And I don't want to see it in myself so much that sometimes I'm just reacting to that. But I'm like, I, you have to try and, I don't know, like recognize something for what it is, find that peace with yourself and just fucking let it go so you can move forward. That's the thing. Ultimately, everything that's happening around you, the people around you and what they're doing, they're just holding up a reflection, you know, and you react. When you see someone that you like what they're doing, you're either fantasizing about doing the same thing or you're happy because you are doing the same thing and you're similar. So you build that rapport. But it works the other way too. You see something that someone's doing and you either hate it because you know you can fall into that trap. And you don't want to. So it gets you upset. It gets you frustrated because you're like, oh, I'm over here grinding not to go and do that stuff. And here they are just doing it right in front of me. And that's why you're upset because you know, you know, you one little slip and fallen off the rails and gone down there. But then again, you can get angry and like resentful or jealous because of what someone's doing. And it's like, because you are doing it. Yeah. And you just don't want to see that in yourself. So you get angry at them because you're angry at yourself for like falling in to whatever habit or fucking thing that you're doing. Yeah. And it's like, take a step back, have a look at what's going on. Why am I feeling this? Why is this happening? Yeah. Why am I turning red? Or why am I super happy about being around this person? And unpack it and take the good too. Be like, oh, I do that as well. That's why I'm drawn to it. That's why it makes me feel good. Because I do that stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to go spread more of my pixie dust. Yeah. You know, make more people happy. Because that person made me happy and I figured out why. Yeah. So you've got to go, got to do it on both sort of planes, you know, like. Yeah. Find the happy, find the sad, find the angry, find everything in between. And enjoy the emotions because it's the changing between them that makes you appreciate how constructive feeling different things can be. When you act on emotion and you act on, you know, timing of when you're feeling motivated to do certain things. And, you know, sometimes anger is a good motivator. Sometimes frustration is a good chance to pull the plug, think about, unpack, build. Yeah, I think we put so much negative connotations with um, someone saying something bad about you and you and someone being like, oh, don't say that about them because that's mean. And then they, that person's like absolved for taking self-responsibility because someone else has intervened and gone, oh, don't say that to Will. Like someone said, for example, like, oh, Will's fat. 
Like, don't say that's mean. Well, now that's body shaming you or something like that. But it is, absolves you from the ability of being like, am I, fa- like, am I like, asking yourself that yeah. question of, do I need to work on something? Do I need to, like, is this thing a real thing? Mm. Or is it just someone's negative? Like, they're always going to say something, yeah. something like that. And you take people's, like, sovereignty away from themselves. Like, it's not a good thing. Take it away from yourself. Exactly. And it's, you just need to be able to ask questions of yourself. That's the thing is, and it's a big thing we'll be pushing at our men shed at the end of the month, is that it's okay to ask yourself questions. And it's okay to feel shit about certain things. It's normal. What's not okay is getting so caught up in someone else's opinion that it starts to affect the questions and the answers you give yourself. And that's where we need to band together as a community, you know, as a bunch of young, old, middle-aged lads that can help each other out and help each other see through the bullshit that we're feeding ourselves. Because, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough that, you know, we ask ourselves questions and we can answer honestly because we can block most of the external stuff out. But a lot of guys don't have that tool. They don't have the ability to go, you know what, Joe's opinion doesn't really matter that much. Like, I heard what he said, but I don't agree with what he said, which is fine, so I'm just going to keep going on my merry way. Whereas if you're, if you're someone that gets caught up in that, and you don't have the tools to be able to pump yourself back, back up or decipher what's been said, you go, oh shit, man, Joe thinks I'm a loser. Maybe I am a loser. He's a real cool cat. Like, you know, he knows the difference. Shit. I'm a fucking loser. Oh dear. It's all of a sudden these stories yeah. start cooking and it's like, it's all over Red Rover. You're down the rabbit hole and you don't know how to get out. <laughs> Episode 11? Episode 11. Episode 11. <laughs> 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 Imagine that. I don't think it's the lead anything. Yeah, sweet. All right, episode 11. Jingle jangle, baby. Residence. That was good. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Joey. That was nice. We really unpacked a lot of shit.